0: You know, in the modern world, we have special days, days to celebrate, days to celebrate different things. The Israelites also had their special days, like Passover and the Feast of Trumpets. They were integral to the faith and culture of that time. However, Leviticus chapter 25, which we're looking at today, goes into a unique dimension, introducing the concept of not just special days, but special years. In this episode we'll explore the fascinating details of this chapter which focuses on two distinct observances, the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee. These special years offer us profound insights that are just as relevant today to our lives as Christians as they were to these ancient Israelite people. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Hello, hello, welcome, welcome to today's episode of the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is for you and I together to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You join us today as we continue our study through the entire book of Leviticus. If you're here for the first time then why not click on the subscribe button that way you need never miss another single episode that way you will have made the decision to make the in-depth study of the word of god part of the rhythm of your daily life that way you can welcome god's holy spirit through his word into your life to dramatically transform it and realign it and give you fresh insight so thank you for joining me And don't forget to hang on at the end when I'll give you some ways you can keep up to date with what's happening here and also receive lots of free additional Bible study resources. Bye bye for now. Throughout the year, we have special days to celebrate. Things like New Year's Day, Valentine's Day, Easter. In the UK we have these things called bank holidays and our friends in the US, well they have days I believe 4th of July, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, all those sorts of things and I'm sure they're the same around the world in your particular occasion. But don't also forget about the special personal days we have where we celebrate things like loved ones birthdays or anniversaries. All these days hold significance within our calendar year. Now as we've journeyed through the book of Leviticus we've seen how the Lord ordained special days also for the Israelites, days like Passover, Firstfruits, Pentecost, the Feast of Trumpets, and the big one the Day of Atonement, as well as others. These days were to be observed on single days throughout each calendar year. Recognizing these special days within their religious calendar is crucial for them in understanding their faith and culture and is important to us as Christians too as we seek to see how they might be applied or what part of them are relevant in our daily lives. But now we come to a chapter which seems like a sort of an interruption in this sequence of what has been a series of special days. It's almost like the Lord hit a pause button for a minute to address a situation at a specific moment, that which we looked at yesterday, the issue of the blasphemy between the Egyptian and the Israelite parent's son, which certainly, I believe, points to the fact that the writing of Leviticus occurred in real time as the revelations the Lord gave Moses were received and as events of the day pushed in on that uh, daily narrative, as things do in this day as well. But in this chapter, Leviticus 25 has a completely different tone. It goes back again and it diverts our attention away from the problems that Moses was having to deal with on that one day. And this time it's going to talk to us about special years of all things. Now, of course, we'll occasionally celebrate a milestone like a hundredth or a two-hundredth anniversary of a significant event in the life of a nation, but it's not something we commemorate repeatedly every single day of that year. But here in the Old Testament, God introduces not just a special day, but two particular types of special years. He instructs the Israelites to observe an entire year in a distinctly different manner. Now this concept may seem a bit foreign for us today so we need to explore its significance not only for ancient Israelites but find out what it means if anything for ourselves. Leviticus 25 will focus on two distinct observances, the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee, both of which are involved in dedicating an entire year to a specific series of practices. Now we may be familiar with these terms and the names of these years, but maybe you've not considered the profound details that are associated with them and revealed here in this chapter. The first observance in the sabbatical year is outlined in Leviticus 25 verses 1 to 7. Now this is a very lengthy passage of scripture again. It would take about 15 minutes to read it, so my plan is to work through it verse by verse or section by section, but I won't be reading the in text in its entirety. For that, you can follow the link in the episode notes to Bible Gateway, where it'll take you through to the version of the scriptures I'll be referring to, or you could simply just open your own Bible on the tablet or phone you're listening to this on, or even old school, open a physical Bible itself. Anyway, Leviticus chapter 25 verses 1 to 7 give us the outline. And in this year, it's telling us that the land, in the sabbatical year, the land itself is to be given rest. And this, of course, is comparable to the weekly Sabbath day of rest for people, only this time it's playing out over a much larger time frame. As God's people, we are already acquainted with the idea of resting one day in seven, Well, the Sabbath year is a further extension of that concept. But it's not a day of rest for just people. It's an entire year of rest for the whole land. For six years, the Israelites can cultivate the fields and the vineyards. But in the seventh year, the land is to experience a period of rest. And it's to be dedicated to the Lord again. And during this year, the sabbatical year, they cannot either harvest nor plough the land. Only what will grow naturally is allowed to be reaped. The land is to be allowed to rest and rejuvenate itself without human intervention. The fruit that spontaneously grows during that time is actually food that is for everyone, not just the landowner, but is also be available to everyone. The hard workers, both male and female it tells us, as well as anyone living on the land and even could be allowed to be used for grazing for their livestock. So this concept is symbolizing the community's unity and the shared provision of sustenance by the Lord himself, not just the fruit of their own labors. So during the sabbatical year, not only does the land rest, but other significant social and economic events take place. It was a time for the release of debts also and the setting free of slaves. This principle of rest, released and equality within the community is there to set in place to begin to establish a profound message, a profound principle that will extend beyond just the regular Sabbath day, but to cover an entire year. This is a massive thing. The sabbatical year signifies not just rest for the land, but in a sense, rest for the people, a time for them to reflect on their reliance on God. A time also of them to forgive debt and to understand the importance of community and allowing the blessings of God to be shared. Okay, next we delve into the year of Jubilee, another special concept that further highlights the divine principles, this time adding into the mix the idea not just of equality, but of justice and restoration, All of this is wrapped up for us in the year of Jubilee, but the year of Jubilee comes once every 50 years. So the text picking up at Leviticus 25 verse eight marks the beginning of the instructions for the year of Jubilee, which will follow immediately the sabbatical year. The 50th year is to be a unique and a profound year, a massively important place in the Israelite nation calendar. Put there, in order to give the people a full, complete, comprehensive understanding of how God's principles and plans should be outworked among his people. The year of Jubilee is to be a continuation of the sabbatical year principle, but with these extra features added. And first it begins with the declaration of liberty throughout the whole land. The 50th year is to be a year of freedom and restoration, which includes the returning of property, to its original owners if for instance you had sold your ancestral land in the period up to the year of jubilee it reverts back to the original owner the point being that it ensures that no family can permanently lose their inheritance their practice was a safeguard against the accumulation of obscene amounts of wealth in the hands of a few people and a reminder that god's provision and blessings were for all his people So the year of Jubilee is the beginning of this fundamental principle in that God, well, of course, he's the ultimate owner of the land of everything, he he stresses. And it's meant to put in place that idea and perspective where we, his people, in this case, the Israelites, are to understand that they are simply caretakers. They have no permanent claim on the land. Even in the UK, when you buy a property on leasehold, although you may feel you own that property outright, in reality, you have simply a lease on it of anything from 100 to 1,000 years. So the year of Jubilee instills and then reinforces the reality that no one can ever permanently lose their god-given inheritance that's the principle it's meant to put in place of course it will maintain an equitable fair society or at least will help do that but it also is meant to teach the spiritual lesson that no one can permanently lose their god-given inheritance now we not today may not implement anything like the sabbatical year or the jubilee in the same way today but we are and do and can glean valuable insights from the principles that are being set up here as God in a way begins to establish elements of human provision through human agency i.e what we would today call government but instilled within it is the concept of trusting God always in his provision and a society attempting to live with a fair distribution of resources and the recognition that everything belongs to the Lord. All of those things surely are profoundly relevant. Now as we'll continue through this chapter we'll see the specifics of how this year of Jubilee was put into practice. Lots of detail about property regulations the redemption, the selling, the transfer of people and land. It's a complex set of regulations and can be somewhat challenging to grasp in a reading. But the important thing is for us today as Christians is to stand back and understand the underlying principles being revealed here in the year of Jubilee. And that is to trust in God's provision and for a fair distribution of resources, of God's blessing, and recognising that ultimately... All things belong to the Lord. We can trust in God, friends, for His abundant provision, but we should live lives that us hold justness and fairness in our relations with one another, our neighbours. As we delve deeper into the passage, into the chapter, it goes deeper and deeper into the practical aspects of what the outworking of that looked at in those days really just illustrating how it was applied in the daily lives of the Israelites. And as we proceed through and we read through the specific regulations, you will see the various way it applies. But the main principles are the cancellation of debt, the return of property to original owners, and the liberation of slaves. Beginning in verse 13, we get the details of how land is to be bought and sold, and how the value of land and property is reached. Basically, it establishes a principle where the closer you get to a year of Jubilee, the value of the land tends to drop. And this regulation does nothing more than mirror what happens naturally in the dynamics of real estate and property development in our modern world, where indeed leasehold properties tend to fall in value as they approach the end of their lease period. The point of this passage, this middle part of the chapter, is to ensure there is no oppression or wrongdoing among the people, especially in property transactions. The idea being aimed for is fairness, with checks and balances being put in, which are mitigated through this year of Jubilee, ensuring justice and integrity, not only in our personal spiritual translations, but in the personal practical transactions related to the value of stuff that we may own. Now, while certain aspects of this can seem strange to us today, it is meant to instill the idea of living a life of complete trust in God's ultimate ownership of all things. Some would say that this is nothing more in economic terms to our modern idea of a leasehold on a property or a high purchase where we pay for something use of the years that we need to use it. Others i have said who've appointed this from an economics background have say it's not dissimilar to what we do when we purchase a warranty for a valuable product today. The longer the warranty, the higher the cost, reflecting the added protection of owning that thing for an extended period. And I do believe analogies like that do help us at least at a level grasp the practicality of what these regulations might have meant, the equivalent in their day, comparing it to ours. But interestingly, verse 22 adds a significant aspect. It reminds the people that in both the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee, the people are going to experience an abundant harvest. They will be able to gather enough food, not only to last during the sabbatical year, but also in the year prior to the year of Jubilee. And this promise, of course, is something people are meant to hold on to. It's meant to be a testament of their faith. In by, the people are placing their trust in the Lord's provision. In fact, more than that, his abundance to carry them through the difficult times. I think overall, this concept, in a sense, reminds me of that verse in the New Testament. I can't remember where it exactly is, but where Jesus, I believe, is heard to say something along the lines of, What have you got that was not given to you already? You see, if we adopt this type of sabbatical year of Jubilee perspective, then we must realize that everything we own truly does belong to the Lord. All these rules of regulation transfer, they simply stand as a reminder of ultimately God's ownership and his generosity in everything he gives us. And the ultimate goal of these, of these years is simply to establish that idea, embed that idea that the Lord God is in fact the landowner of our lives, if you like, and that everything we possess from him is simply on loan from him for as long as we live this life. With this understanding, we can proceed then to grasp hold of a series of possibilities relating to these special years. And as we progress through the passage, further details are outlined for us. Things like in verse 29, it talks about additional regulations for those people living in walled cities, providing an extra layer of regulations, if you like. And then verse 32 emphasizes the sanctity of what are called the Levite cities. In these cities, the properties can never be sold permanently, reflecting the importance of the fact that the Levites must be supported and be enabled to serve the Lord permanently in their priestly role. Towards the end of the chapter, it deals with things like helping poverty-stricken relatives or brothers and sisters within the community fall into Poverty, even those people who are temporarily passing through, joiners it calls them, in the land. Introducing regulations against things like the charging of usury or interest on assistance you provide. And also stressing the importance and the principle that you should not lend money to people and charge an interest or make profits on loans made for emergency things like food. You see, all these guidelines are given in the context of we're meant to be expressing God's grace as the people of God, reminding us always that we should extend that grace to their brethren and that we should not be deliberately profiteering out of those who are struggling. Deliberately, I know this is controversial, not profiteering out of charity, as some seem to be doing today in my estimation. In fact, in verse 39, it elaborates on the type of assistance you should offer, saying that if your brother or sister falls into property, you can, if you want, bring them in as a hired servant, in other words, employ them, but you should not treat them as a slave, and you cannot compel them into slavery, into indebted servitude, which is the definition of modern slavery today, but they can work for you as an employee or as a hired servant, and they can even live with you until the year of Jubilee. At that point, they can always leave and they will have fulfilled their commitments. So it stops people being indebted permanently. And this verse here reminds and establishes the principle that other people are our brothers and sisters and that they should not be treated as slaves reminding them in a very cogent manner that they themselves were once slaves in Egypt. Verse 42 explicitly reminds them of this fact and the fact that he redeemed them, set them free and that they should not in any way make their fellow Israelites slaves, but rather treat them as hired servants yes in a a role as a employed servant even living amongst them paying off their debt but the year of jubilee will always serve as a reflection of god's grace and redemption and ensure that these things are never a permanent state so in summary Leviticus chapter 25, the whole purpose of it is to introduce and explain two special years. The sabbatical years, which is every seventh year, a year of rest, and in the year of jubilee, where not only the land and the people rest, but the land and the people return the possessions to their original owners. These special years are to helping people observe and acknowledge that the Lord God on high, the creator of all things, is of course the true owner of all things the passage is meant to convey a sense of stewardship into god's people understanding the lord is the ultimate owner and all the blessings we receive ultimately come from him in a very real sense the lord god is the creator and owner the landlord of this world if you like and we simply are but his tenants and this perspective should be held towards everything that we possess including our custody of the world and its resources. I believe the overwhelming lesson of this passage, the spiritual lesson, is clear. The scripture, in fact, explicitly states it I own the land, and it was I who redeemed you and redeemed you out of slavery, out of Egypt. But there's another practical lesson to be drawn here, and it's all about trusting the Lord. Just imagine, try and cast your mind back into a pastoral, rural, farmer type person living in that, at that time, tending a piece of land, a piece of property for six years and now you're approaching the sabbatical year and you must stop. You must refrain from touching that entire land for a year, not planting seed, not harvesting either. To do this requires an immense amount of faith. To do this, you must trust the Lord implicitly. Now, in a sense, this concept revealed here is not that far away from the New Testament perspective when we give money to the work of the Lord. We might write the cheque or however it is you do it nowadays and think, wow, I'm giving a substantial amount of money here to the Lord. But by doing that and when you do that faithfully in essence you're giving your possession to the Lord and obeying him in a very similar way to what's been described here. And in a sense you're placing your trust in him to provide for what you need in spite of the fact that you're giving a portion of it away. That's definitely a valid parable of what's going on here. Leviticus 25 reminds us reminds us of the promise that God gives throughout the Bible that if we listen to him and we do as he says, he will provide and protect us. The New Testament contains a similar promise which says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, verse 6, it says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And this is akin to the law, the principle of harvest and sowing. You sow little, you reap little. You sow generously, you will reap abundantly. In fact, Corinthians goes on to emphasize that we also need not only to give, but to give with the right attitude. Don't ever give grudgingly or out of obligation. The Lord doesn't want us to give that way. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, it tells us. That means giving in every aspect, even financially, is meant to be a joyful experience. It's something that we're meant to find fun and do willingly and happily as part of our service to God. Remembering always that when we do that, as Philippians 4 tells us, God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. But the key point to remember here is just like it says in Leviticus chapter 25, is God provides out of his vast riches everything we have anyway. You know, at the end of the day, Leviticus Chapter five just introduces for the first time, probably the first time in human history, the concept of ownership and stewardship being linked together one and at the same time. Of course, the Lord is the ultimate owner. that's absolutely revealed and held on to all throughout this chapter. We friends are simply the stewards of his blessing. He is the landlord, and we are his tenants. And this perspective should apply to everything we possess. And Leviticus chapter 5 basically states for us that we are to be gracious and generous and thankful because that's exactly how God is. Thankful always for his grace. And that is a promise that we should never forget. A promise that thankfully is reminded here for us at a deep and profound level within the Old Testament Levitical Law Revealed Here. Okay friends, that's it for today. Thank you again for being with me today. If you find that helpful then why not like and subscribe and maybe even post a review or share on social media accounts or other places if you do that. That way you can help other people bring the study of the word of God that they too might be encouraged to make it part of their daily lives also. Within the episode notes page, there are lots of links to ways in which you can connect to this ministry and access other free Bible teaching resources. Now, if you're not seeing those links where you get your podcasts from, then just visit us on the homepage at the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com. There you'll find active links to all those places, not just an episode notes page, but a free transcript of every single episode, pretty much word for word what I've said free for you to take and use in whatever way encourages you equips you or even be used to help you if part of your gifting is to involve the discipleship of other people please take them freely with my blessing and i trust the lord and use them in whatever way you find helpful you'll also find places like socials my LinkedIn page where I tend to put occasionally more structured formal discipleship type training courses and there's even a link there to places like Patreon. That's the best place to go if you want to support this ministry financially. There you can make a small contribution, anything from a couple of dollars a month to help ensure that this teaching remains free on as many platforms as possible. It's also there, by the way, I do put occasional bonus episodes, sort of ideas I'm mulling through, preaching maybe I do occasionally, and other situations that are recorded, even talks I give in secular environments. You can see a little bit behind the curtain of how I think and how I work in my life. The areas of my life where I try and bring a biblical aspect, a Christian message, and place it within a entirely secular context. And I do that by giving talks at art societies, a philosophy study group, a psychology study group I meet with, lots of places like that where I try and bring a Christian influence in. And try and find an intersection point where I can bring the truth of the gospel and the love of God into areas pretty much where there are no Christians speaking or operating. So that's the place where I put that type of stuff as free bonus episodes—stuff that doesn't form part of the main Bible project which you've been listening to today. So with that all said. I'll just sign off by saying thank you for joining me today. My name's Jeremy McCandless, and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And I do hope I'll see you back here again very soon. Bye-bye for now.